Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. It's really no joke. Like I got, um, I got a wood burning stove about five years ago and I, I wanted to, I kept on lighting the fires. The smoke would fill up the house. My wife would yell at me. It was great. It was fantastic. So I went on YouTube and I Googled like how to, or search for how to build the perfect fire. Yeah. And I, I kid you not, within 10 minutes, I was an expert fire builder. And to this day, <laughs> I can build a fire like nobody's business. Uh-huh. And all it took was, you know, a couple of minutes yeah. and then, and then boom. So, and, and that's what, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they don't, life is, it's easy. That's easy. That's an easy thing to do. You just have to do it. So don't make excuses. Like you, it's all out there. It's just mm. the biggest ex- excuse lies within yourself. Are you convincing yourself? No, I don't, I don't want to do this. It's too hard or, or this. It, the road is going to be challenging. It is going to be hard. But, <clears throat> you know, the, the worst thing in life is regret. You don't want to be on your, your deathbed or in a nursing home and, you know, begin a sentence, I wish I. That's, to, to me, that's the, the worst thing in the world. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. John, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I actually came across your work because you wrote in. I know you've been a longtime listener. And I think that what just blew me away was just what a prolific body of work that you had created, like having touched multiple industries, having been in television um, and done all of this, this just crazy stuff. I was like, wow, OK, these are these are things that I think many of us dream of achieving, uh, you know, particularly because I think you've touched mainstream media. So it'll be really interesting to talk to you about all that stuff. But before we get into all of that, uh, I would just like to start by asking you, what is one of the most important things that one or both of your parents have taught you that shaped and influenced who you've become and what you ended up doing with your life? Wow, that's a that's a good question. <laughs> um, I would say that my mother has taught me perseverance, uh, kind of kind of like an attitude of you know never to give up and to persevere through you know hardships and struggles and to basically overcome. My mother um, had multiple professions, kind of similar to, to my background, where she started in multiple industries and then just continued to 
just kind of trying to find her way. And it's not so much as finding a way as just, you know, keeping on. You know, it's like the old saying is like, you know, just to, you know, have the ability to show up and you'll succeed. So I, I guess that I'll take that from my mother was, was perseverance. My father was a, a sense of uh, being humble uh, is, you know, not to, um, you know, to see yourself as a, like we're all human beings, right? So everyone sees themselves as part of a family. So you have your, your father, your, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, and then you have your cousins and you have kind of these social circles with friends, but to really see yourself, not just within that family unit and within your friend unit, but to see yourself as part of a, of a human family. And to, you know, we're all essentially, you know, the same. We're all, we're all, no matter if, you know, you're living in New York or you're living in Africa or Singapore, to, to really kind of, um, you know, he, he, kind of, he kind of brought that home. And, and just, just a humbleness. No matter what you achieve in life, you know, you're, to always treat the CEO and the um, janitor the same. So, you know, I, I wonder that that whole idea of perseverance, uh, you have a career in the arts and I wonder what advice did your parents give you in terms of careers? Because in the arts, like one of the things that's interesting is that you can be the most resilient person in the world. You could show up your entire life and you're still choosing a life where nothing is guaranteed and anything is possible. Yeah, that is very true in the the creative field. I actually, I started out, I went to uh, university and studied uh, international economics and finance and started out on Wall Street. Uh, so it was a very uh, hard right turn <laughs> into the uh, creative field, into TV production and development. But, you know, just going to back to your question is, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, it's difficult, you know, as a creative, you have to, in a certain sense, create for yourself and, you know, and, you know, hopefully the audience will follow, but to be true to yourself. And that's very easier said than done because it could take years and years and years um, for you to see some, some level of success. And if you hitch your, well-being on the amount of likes and the amount of views that you get it's it, it could end very badly for you um so you know in in terms of of creativity <clears throat> you you just have to uh, you, you just got to kind of you got to find yourself you got to dig deep and be authentic mm -hmm. now your parents did they encourage any particular career paths uh and also you know you having made sort of the significant turn from you know wall street but is basically a beacon of economic security supposedly uh if you have kids what advice uh, have would you give them like has it informed the kind of guidance you would give them about careers uh i i do have two boys uh one is in eighth grade and the other one is in sixth grade and my parents, you know, invite, they didn't steer me into a certain profession. Uh, they, um, 
they instilled the value of education, of knowledge and wisdom. That was that was very you know that was very important in the household was to was to go you know go on to college. Um, I don't have a, an advanced degree. I don't have a master's, but my brother and sister do. They didn't push us into a certain element, um, and you know I take that with my with my kids, my boys is. I don't. I don't. Nec- I don't want to push them into a certain field. Like you mentioned, finance. Which yes, in in Wall Street, in the land of finance, you're <clears throat> there's a a career path, and you're more financially stable. But I knew um, I knew of of guys and girls who made millions of dollars a year and were miserable. Like if you looked on the surface and you're like, oh. There's the penthouse apartment. There's the the mansion in the Hamptons. There's the Ferrari. They were absolutely miserable. They were not happy at all, and they were taking home five to ten million dollars a year. So it's it's not so much as you know. You know, do I want my boys to be destitute? No, I don't. Uh, nor do I want myself to be destitute. You, you ha- there's, there's a practicality too with all of this stuff. Um, but I, I would just, for them, I would like to, um, educate them, uh, put, you know, and, and not just knowledge, but also wisdom as to, uh, you know, to put some thought into it. And then also, you know, like I did, I changed my mind. I started out in, on wall street. I started out in finance. I did not like it. I worked, um, you know, my really hard in college, I uh, got great grades and I beat out over 5,000 applications, uh, for a job at a very large investment bank. And I got in there the first two weeks and I hated it. I just absolutely despised the hundred hour work weeks. I, I looked ahead of me to where, individuals were, you know, five, 10 years down the line. And it was just broken human beings. And I wanted, I wanted nothing to do with it. So, um, you know, everyone thought I was crazy when I quit, but I, I quit and I, uh, I actually took a month off in the Caribbean. I went, I, um, volunteered for a non-for-profit. And when I came back, I started a consulting business, started consulting, uh, one of my clients was Radical Media, which is a, a large marketing creative services uh, firm in Manhattan. And this was right before the dot uh, dot com bust, or actually kind of in the heart of it. And they kind of threw me in the field. Uh, they needed help producing, editing uh, commercials, uh, video content. And I literally learned by, by being thrown in the fire. I remember having a book open in front of a computer on how to edit on Avid. And that's how I learned the business. I learned the business by, um, by actually physically doing it and making mistakes and then correcting my mistakes. Yeah. How old were you when you left uh, Wall Street and uh, how long did you stay? So I was 23 when I left. And I worked in, so I was at that particular job for less than a year. 
and I had worked on Wall Street. I also, I worked while I was in school. So I was on Wall Street for about a total of three years. Hmm. So the reason I ask is I wonder if your relationship to money changed when you left Wall Street, because I think that, you know, when we look at media now, uh, particularly like what we're taught from the news, if you roll, you know, read through your, your you know, medium newsfeed every day, like it seems like there's just an endless amount of criticism of the structure of Wall Street and capitalism and how this is just a, a disaster for society. And I wonder as somebody who has worked, uh, you know, in on Wall Street and left when you were that young, how has like what impact has that that had on your perspective on money and wealth? That's a good question because you know coming from uh, Wall Street and finance, it, it serves its purpose within a capitalistic society. It provides much needed capital for businesses to grow. It provides credit for individuals to finance houses and cars, uh, you know, student loans, um, finance education. But then there's the greed side of it, which, which, which I saw. So there, there is the system obviously doesn't work perfectly. Uh, you know, co- you know, college, my son is four years away from going to college and a college tuition is astronomical. It's, it's all, it's laughably expensive. But the alternative is for him not to go to school. It's like it's like what do you do? And then you you know you look at the you look into it. You look at the administrative costs at these universities, the amount of you know this, this building boom that's going on that they're throwing more and more money at you know bigger and bigger stadiums and buildings and libraries. But so just to take a step back, as I'm going off on a, tra- a tangent, is you know, Wall Street finance banks, they serve their purposes. But what happens is, you know, human greed gets involved. And in these cultures, your self-worth is directly tied to how much money you make. So for instance, in investment banking, mergers, acquisitions, you know, there would be bonus time. And, you know, let's call them Rick would get a bonus of $2.3 million. So Rick was happy. He got a bonus of $2.3 million. In New York, he takes home about half of that uh, because he gets killed in taxes. But his buddy Bob made $2.8 million uh, in a bonus. Now he's upset because he made half a million dollars less and feels like he literally got screwed out of the deal, even though he's still walking away with millions of dollars. So, and, and there's also two is like the, the financial instruments that Wall Street makes to make money. So they're tied to the markets too. So they have to, you know, they're reporting their quarterly numbers. They don't want their stock market, to, their stock price to get depressed. So there's also incentives there to kind of cut corners. So it's, you know, it's right now it's the system. And, you know, uh, it's one of those things is like, what's, you know, what's the alternative? You know, I'm hoping we could come to some, you know, better version of capitalism. Like I just, uh, I just read this article. I don't know you're aware of Ray Dalio. He's mm-hmm. with a, a Bridgewater hedge fund. He just wrote this two part post on LinkedIn of how, you know, capitalism needs to be reformed. I, I think it was called failed capitalism or ref, uh, reform capitalism. 
But his basic premise was the American dream uh, is is essentially dead slash dying, where you know he was able to go. You know, he lived a middle class existence, went to public schools, and was able to become the successful hedge fund manager. And now, um, public schools budgets are being cut. Uh, schools are being cut. Um, um, you know, colleges are very expensive. Uh, you know, he goes into um, how income has been depressed or flatlined for middle class, and essentially now all the policies uh, are geared towards the not just the one percent, but the point oh one percent. Yeah. Did I did I answer your question? Yeah. No, you you did. It was it's it's funny. Okay. You're is an interesting tangent. It's funny because I had Scott Galloway here recently, and you know, for those of you listening, you'll have heard this. There's one thing that stayed with me from that conversation with him, uh, and he said that you can kid you know kid yourself all you want. We do not live in a meritocracy. He said the caste system is alive and well in America. And I remember Absolutely. thinking that like holy shit, like India, you know, it spent decades. You know, we've seen what happens with a caste system in India. Uh, it's not good for society. You know, like nothing good comes from that. And it, it's really unfortunate that that, but that, but the reality here is that the way society is set up, the way social structures are developed, uh, it really unfortunately does get rid of this whole idea of meritocracy. Like I always think to myself when I'm having conversations like this with people like you, every one of these conversations is a conversation that is being had from a place of privilege. You and I aren't thinking about, you know, working three jobs to keep food on the table. Right. Correct. Yeah, and in a sense, we're, we're, you know, we're very privileged, Mm -hmm. you know, in that fact, where I don't know how, um, to be frank, I don't know how a lot of people do it. I mean, healthcare costs, healthcare costs are absolutely insane, just flat out insane. And if you take all the costs associated in living, like I live in, uh, you know, a, a suburb outside of New York City on Long Island, and just the property taxes alone on the real estate is astronomical. It's very, very expensive. And those are tied to the school system. And obviously the school system is good. But when you when you look at it um, from the sense of, you know, if someone was making, you know, I don't know what the I don't know what the average uh, income, you know, so say it's like thirty eight thousand dollars for a middle class family on in the US. It's like how, after taxes, how do you live on that? Like, how do you how do you pay the healthcare bills? How do you pay the um, the auto insurance? The um, you know the the property taxes? Mm-hmm. It, it's it's very very difficult. And then when you look at like a minimum wage salary, it I don't I don't know how it's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in, in a, a weird sort of roundabout way, that makes a really sort of perfect segue to getting into your work. I mean, you worked in, in the entertainment industry, which to me has like, it feels like the entertainment industry. And, you know, I think that I classify, you know, everything from publishing to television uh, as the entertainment industry. And every one of these industries is in a state, has been in a state of flux ever since the internet. And that state of uncertainty seems to only be accelerating. So I wonder, well, first off, you know, can you walk us through kind of you know, the work that you have done? But really, I think what I want to talk about is navigating this landscape um, that is very uncertain. 
That's yeah, a, it's a great question. Let me just uh, give a, a very brief background or history of um, of working in the in the media industry. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, so I started out, like I said, I, I left investment banking. I went, I volunteered in a Caribbean island for about a month building an eco hut so that the uh, the indigenous people could sell uh, like berries and roots and uh, for the rainforest to sustain the rainforest. Came back up, uh, started consulting, worked for Radical Media. So Radical Media is, remember the, the Geico, uh, not the Geico, the Budweiser lizard ads? Mm. They were very well known for that. Yep. And they started um, ESPN at that point was like the beginning of like the 30 for 30 series. So these were like sports documentaries. And I worked on a show called The Life uh, for ESPN. I was both a producer and editor on that show. I then worked on a series of commercials. And then I went and worked as I worked, uh, started as an editor, worked up to a producer, supervising producer, and eventually an executive producer I worked on all, for all the major networks, uh, Bravo, MTV, uh, Fox, uh, NBC, uh, AMC, HBO. Uh, I worked on um, Being Bobby Brown, which was that Bobby Brown, Whitney Houston reality TV show, mm-hmm. which was one of the first reality TV shows that gave talent final sign-off on the episode. That was a very... Um, Interesting experience. I don't want to get too into that because yeah. we could spend 20 minutes talking about the uh, heroic efforts to shoot that show. Uh, I then went on and <clears throat> worked, um, I, uh, pitched a show to MTV called House of Prophecy, which was about psychics um, that, you know, psychics would, co- you would choose your, uh, a teen would come in, they would choose their psychic and then their life problem. And then that psychic would then help them out. And we, and we'd follow them onto the resolution. Uh, I worked on, um, so, so I basically worked on multiple, I, I also worked on um, some kind of monster, the Metallica documentary as an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started my own company, which was a media company called Park Bench Media, which is now One Circle Media. And now we, um, We still work with networks like AMC, Lionsgate. Uh, We worked uh, on Mad Men. Uh, We worked on The Sun, The Preacher, The Walking Dead. We essentially create content that builds networks and audiences. Uh, It was on-air, marketing, PR, internal, external media, social media, uh, social content. Essentially, whatever a network, studio, corporation, or brand wants mm-hmm. in terms of content, we will partner with them and deliver that. So that's the very, I guess it was short yeah. <laughs> version of, of what I do. Now, your, the so second many, part of your question is... Yeah, I have so sorry, many go questions ahead. about that alone. I, I think that you know, to me, this is, this is fascinating. So you've gotten to be up close uh, to effectively what we consider cultural icons uh you know the people who have quote, unquote, made it you know in in this industry 
what do you what do people not know about them that they think they do? Like what misperceptions do we have about somebody who was like the star of Mad Men or somebody who who rises to that level of of performance and and you know craft? Like what is it that goes into that that we don't see? Because and I'll give you a, a bit more context for this. The other day uh, I was listening to this interview with Sam Jones, uh, who runs an amazing podcast called Off Camera, where he interviews these really iconic artists. You know, and he had Neil Patrick Harris on. And the, from the whole conversation, there's one thing that I remember so much so that I actually wrote a blog post about it. And he, Neil Patrick Harris said that he valued longevity more than he valued fame, uh, which, you know, wow. between Doogie Hauser and How I Met Your Mother, apparently he did a bunch of different things and is still doing a bunch of things that I didn't even know he does. So I, I wonder, you know, you've been up close to a lot of these people. Uh, you know, you have a view into their lives that most of us will never get. What are we not seeing? It's a good question. Um, in, in terms of, so Mad Men. Um, so in terms of, I mean, there's, that was just a massive, massive show for AMC, uh, for, you know, the, the writers, the creators, and the cast, and the crew, which basically put AMC on the map. You know, just dealing with everyone on that show is a very, very down to earth and nice. So the the assumption that the public has is that, you know, fame immediately goes to someone's head, which in some cases it does. But what what people don't understand, you can also uh, or don't realize, and you can also equate this to entrepreneurs, um, people who build businesses or creatives in general, is the the public perception is that this is an overnight success. This just happened. You know, right. they got lucky. When in fact, it's ten years or fifteen years. Uh, also, you can stand up comedy. You know, it's ten, fifteen years of just sweat and tears, sweat, blood, and tears. Just, just a brutal, brutal existence. Like John Hamm, super nice guy, great actor. It, you know, the amount of, you know, casting calls that he went on, the amount of, um, you know, work that went into, and then he eventually landed that part, which kind of put him, you know, on the map. Super nice guy, very humble, uh, would treat, you know, anyone from the director on the set to the, the uh, catering craft services person equally. Just a really nice guy. But so, so that's what they don't, they don't see the, it's like the iceberg. They only see the top 10%. And the way it's reported in, in the press, it looks like it's an overnight success. It's like when you build a business, it's like, oh, all of a sudden you're, you know, a hundred million dollar business. Well, they didn't see the five failed businesses or they didn't see the, you know, 999 no's you got and all the parts that you did not get or all of the scripts that were rejected, or all the show ideas that were, were canned. When I, when I was pitching uh, a series to MTV, it was no was the norm. <laughs> you, a yes was, a maybe was surprising. So you, again, this is like, this goes back to, you know, perseverance. It's just keep on pushing on an event. All you need is that one yes. So you saw that kind of universally um, on Mad Men. Uh, let's see, uh, being Bobby Brown, um, 
that was a little bit di- that was a little bit different, a little bit challenging, <laughs> and it, you know it was it was sad. It was sad to see someone because I mean I'm I'm going to age myself. I'm 44, and I grew up listening to Whitney Houston, which just the the most beautiful angelic voice mm-hmm. known to man, just absolutely beautiful. And you saw, especially within you know the reality TV shows, just kind of like how substance abuse would you know affect somebody. Um, I mean, I was, I specifically remember, you know, we would, you know, we would shoot and we'd have to cancel shoots. Um, and she would have, um, you know, she would have a local drug dealer. She would have a, a dealer who would go across state lines and then she would have an international dealer that were so prevalent on the show that we had to cut around them. Like it was difficult to, to not include the drug dealer in the shot. That's how, um, you know, how often that person was present. Wow. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, you know, so I, it's it's funny that you said this because I I you know we had a, uh, a there was a period briefly where we were you know shopping around the idea of unmistakable creative as a TV show for Netflix, and I got to have a, a conversation with an agent at CAA who was actually one of our listeners, uh, you know, put together a pitch deck and and he shopped it around, and I remember you know getting to hear back that he said you know they they made, like the, the feedback was that I wasn't famous enough. They're like we don't want to create a star. We want somebody who's already famous. Uh, which I thought, you know, and I, and I kind of realized, okay, well, this is the the reality of the media landscape that we're we're in now, right? And so, you know, from your perspective, we've got this really fragmented media landscape, so much so that I remember hearing the producers of Oprah in uh, a podcast that WBEZ did that was all about the making of Oprah and how Oprah became Oprah. They said, there will never be another Oprah Winfrey simply because the media landscape no longer is designed for it, uh, which is why I've always thought it's such a stupid goal because it's a bit like you know planting seeds in cement and thinking you're going to get tomatoes. It's just never going to happen. And yet you've got this world in which people really, I think people actually value attention more than they value the work that goes into getting that attention. And so I, I wonder, you know, from, yeah, I agree. Seeing where you're at, you know, like, what is it that, how do you navigate this world that's incredibly fragmented as a creative? Because even, you know, in the, the, the podcasting space now, we're we're suddenly seeing that wait a minute you know celebrities have figured out that this is sort of the new media they can dominate it and I, i've been watching it every day it's like oh deepak chopra has a podcast now and suddenly anybody else who is in the rankings gets just flushed down the toilet and so i, I wonder you know what is it that allows people to navigate this this landscape and you know does that sort of you know john ham moment of one in a hundred or that one yes become less likely because of this yeah, well, well, now it's and fragmented is an understatement. <laughs> so you have you have massive, massive media companies, conglomerates that are terrified of what's going to happen. You know, there, there's a whole you know the entire TV industry is is built on you know seventy to eighty billion dollars of ad revenue. And what's slowly eroding is it's like the 800 pound gorilla is nobody's watching commercials anymore. (laughs) So that's a big, big problem. And now with the younger generations is nobody's watching TV anymore. So no, they're the generation, the generation Z generation, you know, the millennials is, they don't want to pay $200 for their cable bill. They don't care about 500 channels because they can pay, you know, eight bucks to Netflix and watch things on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook. So it's these social networks that are then 
pulling this attention away from that from that content. And you know, my belief is there's always going to be a place for well told uh, stories and content. So the HBOs of the world, the AMCs of the world, uh, you know, it was like the, the the Avenger movie just came out, right, and did like some ridiculous opening week and i forget what it was it's like and then it's like and before this you're like oh there the press was reporting oh no one goes to the movies and then you know i i saw in my local movie theater they had screenings at like three in the morning to try <laughs> to try to meet the demand yeah uh, it, it's just it's just crazy but so it's a well-told story you know and the the production values and stuff and they put a lot of marketing behind it and and stuff but you, so you have these large corporations that are trying to hedge their bets where they're, you know, they're buying, um, you know, app to, uh, apps that are doing well or, you know, certain media entities. And, you know, and like you said, with podcasts, it's like everybody's kind of jumping into that, you know, that podcast bandwagon. And it's like, is the, is the podcast market saturated? I think it all comes down to, you know, attention and also to an authentic uh, story, brand, and voice. Where I think, you know, like for, so, for you to to create a show, right? So for your brand, like in my opinion, your brand is an authentic brand. It's a clear voice. So you could have potentially diluted that brand. Not potentially. If you got picked up <laughs> by a network, you're most likely your brand would have been diluted because what would have happened is you would have had your idea for the show and on paper it would have been great and this is how exactly how I want it. But then the network executives would get involved and they're like, no, our audience wants this. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. So to stay authentic to your brand and your message and your story, you're much, much better off using your platform and existing audience and creating that show on, you know, for YouTube or, you know, just, just putting it out there. Mm -hmm. Now, now there is certain like Netflix is better executive wise, content wise, creative wise. You probably would have gotten, you know, little to no notes, but in the traditional media space, they, they could have potentially ruined, you know, your your creative vision or your idea. Yeah. So I guess then, what does that mean for the individual creator? Because I think that this is this is one thing that I really thought about. You know, people will ask me for advice on how to grow an audience, and and one of my friends always says to me, "He said, dude, he's like." you have a huge advantage that is kind of unfair when you give this advice. You started so long ago. Like, I mean, it, you know, we started, some people think, you know, it was 2014, but we've been around since 2009 because we started as this podcast for bloggers. And like, I, I think I said it, I was like, this is such an interesting time because it's one of the greatest times in history for creatives because our tools are easy to use. They're cheaper than they've ever been. And they're only getting easier to use. So like we can go from execution to idea in record time but you're also competing against so much more than you were even in 2009. It's insane how noisy the internet is. Like I remember I was one of the first writers on Medium. Now I go there and I have a hard time finding stuff to read because the homepage is just littered with stuff. Yeah, no, it, and it's, 
you know, the barrier to entry now, as you mentioned, is so much lower that, you know, even in terms of just creating like video content, like, you know, I've been in the, in the media business for over 20 years. And I remember when, you know, just to create, you know, ca- a camera, a decent camera was $25,000, $30,000. Yeah. Now that you, you can shoot it on your iPhone, you know, and with a podcast, like you could literally record your audio on your iPhone with voice memo and you could broadcast that. You could post that. You could stream that. Um, and you could, you know, you could host your podcast for free. So, th- so the barriers of entry are extremely low. I mean, honestly, I don't have an answer to that question, it, yeah. n- nor do what people perceive as the people who know the answer. Right. <laughs> Everybody is kind of running around trying to figure out, you know, what potentially would work and what platforms and networks have the stickiness. And, you know, what we're dealing with is there's a extremely low barrier to entry for creatives, but at the same time, everyone is, their attention is fractured. It's fragmented. It's, you, you know, you're, you're, you're being, I forget what the statistic is. It's like, you see like 3000 advertising messages every day. Mm-hmm. You know, you're constantly on your phone, email, you know, you're getting pulled and, and pushed. And, but yet you, you hear success stories of, you know, podcasters who do, you know, three hour interviews, people will, will listen to them or long form content. You know, it used to be like short, 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 attention span, attention span, everyone's attention span is zero. But I think what podcast fills that need is, you know, where else is there the opportunity to sit down and talk with someone for an hour? Like Mm -hmm. it's almost non-existent. It's almost non-existent for your spouse, for your, for your children. It just doesn't happen. So I think that's filling that need where people are missing that and, feeling that connection. So I think with any type of media that you create, you want to aim for an authentic voice and you want to aim for a connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and all these are kind of like buzzwords and easier right. said than done. Yeah. And patient and patience, like, like look at yourself, you 10 years, this, it's not like you created the podcast yesterday and yeah. now everybody's lining up. You did this, you know, it was, I mean, I don't know how it started, but you were probably alone, you know, in your house yeah. and, you know, <laughs> I'm still two subscribers, house, way, three, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three downloads. Yeah. And you, ju- and you just believed in the vision and, you know, you, you stayed the course and, and that's what, you know, honestly, nobody wants, that's not going to sell any books. That's yeah. not going to sell any merch. That's not going to, you know, it's, you're not going to get a thousand likes when someone asks you, oh, what to do. Uh, you know, you, you got to be super patient. You got to uh-huh. work really hard. And oh, yeah, you could fail miserably, waste money, waste your time. So it's, you know, with, with all this stuff, is like what you do is there's this, this sense of you want to, you know, you want to, create for yourself now now for me i mean obviously i've i have a business and basically i'm told okay here's the here's the creative problem we have what's the solution 
So then we come back. So I'm not creating for myself. I'm creating for the client. But I also create other things for myself, stuff that I want to listen to or I want to watch or I wish this was out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I had this idea. It's like, okay, can I do this? You know, uh, is it possible? How much will it cost? How long will it take? And then I take certain bets and I do it. Most fail. It's just the way, just the way it is. Most don't succeed. But my, what I get out of it is not attributed to the success of it. It's the creation of it. So I think that's where people have it backwards. Like look for the value in the creation. So you almost want to, um, and this, this is easier said than done is rid, rid yourself of the expectation of what this could be, you know, the success of X, Y, and Z. Now, this is also, you know, you've got to make a living. You can't just, you know, you just can't throw, you know, everything. So the way I've structured is I, you know, I make a living with my business and then I take these certain, you know, creative, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to call them bets, but it's something that I look at it and I say, okay, I'm going to enjoy creating this. Whether it's successful or not, or whether I can monetize this or not, remains to be seen. Yeah. You know, I'm going to put my best foot forward. I'm not going to slack. You know, it's it's not going to be like uh, I'm trying to think of uh, what was that famous movie with uh, the dude? You know, the slacker uh, dude. The, is it the Big Lebowski? Yeah, the Big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah, I'm not going to take the Big Lebowski approach to it. You know, yeah. to put my best foot forward, but the you know the expectation because if you have an expectation of this must succeed. Oh. Right? <laughs> it, yeah, it, you, you said it perfectly. Ooh, yeah. it's just it, it, you're gonna you're gonna set yourself up for massive, massive disappointment. Oh yeah, I know firsthand. Uh, it's funny because my entire you know previous book, if that's the one you're reading, uh, an audience of one is about this idea. And it was funny because I think that I had to learn that lesson more than anybody with that book because I was so damn stressed out by the fact that it wasn't selling well. And what was really weird is that I finally said to hell with it. It suddenly, you know, we're, we're literally just shy. I think as of this week, we'll hit 3000 copies. And, and honestly, it's spread through word of mouth. And I think there's a reason it's striking a chord is because this message is, I, I feel like I keep hearing this thing echoed across popular culture from filmmakers to, you know, people, M. Night Shyamalan almost echoed this message in his, you know, one of his, his commencement speeches. And, you know, I, I did another self-published book recently and somebody's like, why are you writing this? And I said, you know what? I was like, the only reason I'm writing it is because I want to write it. I, I really don't care if anybody buys it. I, I, there's a section in it that says, just so you know, I didn't write this book for you. I wrote it for me and I gave it away for free. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's missing it. And this idea of expectations, uh, I think it's so reinforced because we're constantly bombarded with this just highlight reel of other people's accomplishments. So inevitably, you, you, you know, you get on Instagram and you're thinking, oh, you know, I wrote a book with a publisher. And next thing I know, it's a whole shit. One of my friends hit the New York Times bestseller list. I'm such a loser. I can't even hit the New York Times bestseller list. Right. I know it's, it's insane. And, and, you know, on social media and, you know, family and friends, everyone's going to project their best version of themselves. So it's, it's always about the successes and same, same thing with the, you know, the press, you read about the successes, you don't hear, you know, the bad days, the near bankruptcies, the failures, and those are the norm. 
not the exception. That's what happens. We're all, you know, we all make mistakes. We're all flawed. We're all human beings. And you just don't, everyone, you know, portrays the best version version of themselves. And it's like with social media and Instagram, I read an article that, uh, you know, how, how detrimental it is to the mental health of not just everyone, but specifically preteen and teenage girls. Yeah. Because they see this idolized version of this curated feed of perfection, which is just just not achievable. And it's and if you're on that feed, if you're on that for hours and hours a day, that message is reinforced, and you become more and more and more depressed and anxiety. So, and and all this stuff is, you know, it's 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 easier said than done. It's yeah. very very. You know, it's very difficult to to believe, like, you know, to create, you know, to spend 500 hours or a thousand hours on something and being content with, oh, I'm okay if three people read this. Exactly. I'm okay if three people. It's like the Buddha, you know. Um, but, you know, for me, like I, I, I started a podcast called The Working Experience and the and I look at it as I don't care if there are millions of people who listen to yeah. it, which there are not. I can safely tell you that. <laughs> um, but if you know, if somebody at Disney or somebody at HBO or someone at uh, Johnson and Johnson, yeah. who's head of their internal creative services, listens to that and listens to my, you know, the subject matter, the way I think and talk. And how I present myself and how I think, and they get in touch with me. That's a win. That mm-hmm. I've I've reached that one person that would have been very very difficult to reach for them networking wise in the in the world in the real world. Yeah. So that's one person. Now I'm not creating the podcast for that. I'm just giving an example of a benefit that you know, is not directly monetized through an ad or, or, you know, or, or something else, but I'm doing it for the sheer joy of the creativity of, um, discussing these issues Mm -hmm. and talking, you know, much like yourself, talking with authors, other business owners, other creative people of, you know, Hey, what's, what's your working life? life what's your what, what experience have you like this and this is this crazy ideal that we have or the situation that you're in like you're you know you're, you're popped out of school and then all of a sudden you're sitting in a cubicle and you're like how the hell did i get here what what transpired that i am now sitting here and i've got to you know enter data into a spreadsheet and do this for the next 40 years of my life mm-hmm. yeah yeah, no, I mean it's it's fascinating. Like, so I'm working on starting another show uh, based on on that has absolutely nothing to do with unmistakable creative. Like, it, it's going to be about how people met each other. Because, and I started you know just interviewing my family members about arranged marriage, and I was like, oh, this is a really fascinating subject, and the, the conversations have been so interesting for me personally. I was like, oh, and it's literally just a, a side project, which you know I'll you know once it's live, I will let anybody who's listening know about it. But I, I realized I was like, yeah, the only purpose for this project is for the sake of doing the project. Nothing else. Um, and that, that's like you said, a lot of these things are way easier said than done. Um, I think 
think that that that's that's you know I remember somebody once said that you know it's easy for you to make the argument from a place of privilege to say you know yeah go out and argue for the virtues of an audience of one you happen to already have an audience that's big enough for you to get a book deal so it was you know and, and that was one of those sort of paradoxes I had to to wrestle with and I I didn't disagree with what that person said I said you know what you're right that that's absolutely true but it didn't start out that way yeah and you know it's and, and every you know successful person you know knows what it takes you know there there's this you know this this grind this hustle that you know that again perseverance is just just not to give up and you're gonna fail there's no one that just starts at the bottom floor and just walks straight up to the top no nobody there's there's not a single person i mean even someone who you know the children of a billionaire who's who's given like a massive amount of money that person has problems i guarantee it they might have you know severe you know social and mental problems from the fact that they're never going to live up to their parents and they're going to constantly be able to prove themselves so everyone has you know challenges um and it's it's overcoming it's overcoming challenges, hard work. And it's not, again, it's not going to sell books. It's not going to sell, you know, uh, pills or whatever. It, it's the advice is you just, gotta, you just got to work hard and not give up. Like I had this, um, you know, talking about this like crazy ideas, right? I'll give a real life example. So I'm in New York, I'm walking down the street and you know, when you're walking down, so, so where, where do you, you live out West, right? Are you San Francisco? Yeah. Uh, San Diego. Okay. San, San Diego. Yeah. So you probably experienced the same thing. You're walking down the street, crowded city. Everybody's looking at their phones, right? No, nobody's looking up. Nobody's paying attention. And some guy, I'm, so I'm walking along and this guy's looking at his phone. It's a big guy. And he hits me. He just like, kind of like, like weaves into my lane and hits me. And I'm like, well, whatever. So I get bumped and I'm thinking to myself, you know what, if I had a horn, I would have beeped at this guy, right? So I came up with this concept of human horn to create a wearable horn so that you could literally like, a, you know, it's like a bike horn. So you could blare your horn at people so that they'll get out of your way. They won't walk into you. And then if you're, the, the horn would also have lights on it. So if you're one of the idiots on their phone, you could put on like this flashing light so you can tell people like, hey, I'm distracted and I'm not paying attention. You know, look out. It's almost like flashers on a car. <laughs> so, you know, and I also got the idea, I think it was in like, um, I think it was Denmark or that's one of the Norwegian uh, countries where, Instead of putting the do not walk signs where they're, they're typically at eye level across the street, they put them on the ground because the, uh, the pedestrian fatalities of people crossing the street and getting hit by a car went up like 250% because they knew everyone's attention was looking down. Jesus. So, so, I had this, so I had this idea. So I was like, you know what? Let me, let me, let me, call, let me, let me see. How much it would make? How much it would cost to make one of these uh, human horns? Yeah. So I I got you know two people on my team. We'll call we get a Chinese manufacturer. We figure out oh this is doable. 
we could we could actually create this. So we're working on a prototype right now to create this and then launch a Kickstarter and stuff. So this is just an idea. So I was literally jostled on the street. And, you know, this idea came to me. Now, I hope none of your listeners steal this idea till I get this <laughs> device to market. So please, if you're listening, do not steal this idea. Yeah, it's, you know, um, I think that it's, I think you're really in so many ways are, are making an argument for the sake of creativity for its own sake, which, uh, as you know, I appreciate deeply because I've seen what happens when that is the case. So often the work is actually better as a result, and it's much more likely to actually reach an audience because it's honest and it's real. Yeah, it's, if you're if you're trying to manufacture something or create something to jump on the bandwagon of, like right, like right now, like if you, I think it's a great idea for people to create a podcast, right? But don't create it just because you're reading articles and everyone thinks it's the next greatest thing, spoken word, blah, blah, blah. You, you should come from a point of, I have you know, a unique perspective or it's a subject or it's a story that I have to tell. Mm-hmm. I, I need to talk about this and nobody else is talking about this. Ergo, I'm going to create this. If you come from that space, whether the podcast is successful or not, is irrespective. It doesn't matter because you'll create that and you'll then learn the process. And also, too, you'll learn a lot about yourself in the process. And if that's not successful, then maybe a conversation that you have with someone on your podcast could lead to something. Or maybe it's another idea for a podcast that's not that podcast that you have that could be hugely successful. So it's kind of like you have to open yourself up to the possibilities. Don't close yourself down. Open yourself up to possibilities. I mean, obviously, there's a time component. You can't do everything. You got you got to choose what you know what direction you're going to go into. But you know, don't don't judge. Just be open to you know. The, the possibilities or the opportunities that you create. And that's the other point is like, you're at the point of creation, like creator, you can create something. And like you said before, it's like, we're at a space right now where anyone, you know, you have at your disposal, a smartphone, which is, you know, I think I can't, I can't remember the statistic, but it's like more powerful than the, computer that or the computers that ran the free world under ronald reagan's presidency yeah or even or, the, you know a hundred a thousand times better yeah that sent the yeah. astronauts to the moon i forget the statistics but you you can create stuff and and, and also too like these social media platforms in some ways they're detrimental but the other ways there's opportunity there for you to be heard and for you to build an audience and to use those and leverage those networks. But it all begins with your decision to create said podcast, video, uh, book, uh, blog post, website, app, 
there are, and the other beautiful thing about the internet, and I don't know if you've experienced this, is like, if you don't know how to do something, you Google it and watch <laughs> a YouTube video on it. It's almost scary yeah. of how, how easy it is. There are things where I'll come out of a client meeting with them. I probably shouldn't be saying this. I would come out of a client meeting with a massive client and they'll ask for something that I'm not aware of. Uh-huh. I'll then relay to my team and we'll go find it on the internet. And they're like, oh, that's how you do it. And then we yeah. turn around and it's like, yep, we can do that. that that's within our <laughs> capabilities. So it's, and, and it's, it's like we're in the business of like creative and idea generation. This was like a specific, almost kind of like a hardware problem that we weren't aware of. Yeah. But 10 years ago, we would have had to hire like a consultant at $300 an hour to come in, you know, but now you can literally the most arcane things yep. that um, knowledge is at your fingertips where you can literally become, you know, you can become an expert in the matter of a couple of hours mm-hmm. on the most niche things that you can conceive of. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's funny you say that. I remember I had a buddy who was, um, you know, he's a neurosurgery resident at Harvard and uh, he was volunteering to, to do something for some kids and they wanted to go throw a football. And he literally went on YouTube and he's like, dude, he's like, I can throw a spiral now. <laughs> and I remember thinking, because like, if I had learned, if I had been able to watch a YouTube video of how to throw a spiral, like, would I have not got the shit beat out of me in Texas football? Maybe I would have actually learned how to throw a football. I mean, that, yeah, that is the, yeah, no, the kind of stuff. That's it's, it's, it's really no, it's really no joke. Like I got, um, I got a wood burning, burning stove about five years ago and I, I wanted to, I kept on lighting the fires. The smoke would fill up the house. My wife would yell at me. It was great. It was fantastic. So I went on YouTube and I Googled like how to, or search for how to build the perfect fire. Yeah. And I, I kid you not, within 10 minutes, I was an expert fire builder. And to this day, <laughs> I can build a fire like nobody's business. Uh-huh. And all it took was, you know, a couple of minutes yeah. and then, and then boom. So, and, and that's what, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they don't, Life, life is that's easy. That's easy. That's an easy thing to do. You just have to do it. So don't make excuses. Like you, it's all out there. It's just mm. the biggest ex- excuse lies within yourself. Are you convincing yourself? No, I don't. I don't want to do this. It's too hard, or or this. It the road is going to be challenging. It is going to be hard. But <clears throat> you know, the the worst thing in life is regret. You don't want to. You don't want to be on your your deathbed or in a nursing home, and you know begin a sentence. I wish I. That's to to me. That's the the worst thing in the world. Hmm. Well, I think that makes a really uh, perfect and, and sort of poetic place to to finish our conversation. So uh, I know you've heard me ask this question a thousand times, and it's how we finish all of our interviews. The unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good, I've I've heard it a lot of times on your podcast. Um, you know, I would say you you are unique in that you are yourself, and nobody else is. There's nobody else in the world like yourself. So, how do you want to present yourself to the world, like? What is your story? You know, the very, it's almost like a foundational thing. It's like, it's like, 
who am I and you know who are you? And that uniqueness, I think, makes somebody an unmistakable creative. So it's it's not only it's not like what they've done or you know it's all the accolades. It's you. It's you. It's your. Uh, it's essentially you're like your beingness at its core, and it's up to you to you know to cre- to create things out of that. You know, it's this. It's like this beautiful blueprint and like we're all waiting to hear look and see what you can create like what is what is that what is your podcast what is your book what what creative uh, element are you going to offer you know to the to the universe it's like that um i love that uh, that dead you know dead poet society mm-hmm. It's like, what, what verse are you going to contribute to this play of life? I think I just totally hacked that up, but it was that, that Robin Williams and all the boys were gathering around. I think Apple used it in an ad, right? Corporate America getting in there, jumping on creativity. Um, But it's like, what will your verse be? That's, that's an unmistakable creative in my mind. Wow. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you and uh, everything else that you're up to? Uh, you know, the, the best place to reach out to me is LinkedIn. Um, and it's, you know, it's John Brancaccio, B-R-A-N-C-A-C-C-I-O. I'm also on Instagram at John Brancaccio, Twitter at John Brancaccio. But, you know, LinkedIn's probably the best. If you want to reach out to me and connect with me, that's kind of where I live nowadays in the social media environment. You like my Instagram, you'll go to my Instagram. You'll be like, who is this person? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And for everybody listening. Well, listen, I, please. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm just saying, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out today and, um, you know, and talking with me, I'm usually on the other end of this. I'm interviewing people. So the kind of the, the chairs were switched and I really appreciate your, um, your questions and then your, your follow-up questions. I think we kind of, we got deep on some, uh, some kind of some human issues and in, in creativity. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Likewise. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.